up. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, it's me and Dave. Dave, say hey to everyone. Hey everyone. How, how's, how's it going over in your neck of the woods there, Dave? Uh, it's busy. It's, 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 you know, it's getting through. We're, we're uh, doing a lot of milking and a lot of salt and cheese, so it's busy. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Well, that's that's good to hear that uh, you guys are keeping busy over in your neck of the woods. And uh, I'm doing pretty much uh, just kind of skulking around town for the mayor, looking for those rats which may not be rats or rats that use tools. And, and then I'm finding a bunch of old Danish stuff and then some, like, red caps and then start looking into things and being like, maybe these aren't uh, goblins at all. Maybe these are uh, some kind of, uh, I don't know, carpenter goblins, gnomes, house spirits. Gnomes? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, kind of like, you know, uh, you know, elves are in legend, they're not like Legolas and, you know, they're not like East, I mean, Christmas elves, they're, they're more like, like, you know, spirits of a place. Exactly. Like exactly. Uh, Dave, <clears throat> this, this is a weird town. This is a weird town <laughs> we're in right now, I have to say for sure. Um, so... I, um, I'm going to play a PSA that you sent me to, or you had me to, uh, you recorded earlier for me to play, uh, playing that right now. Hello, hello, uh, hi, hello, hi, hey, my name is Dave, and I live on the goat farm on 1313 Quantrell Road, uh, it's, uh, called, uh, Uncle Owen's Goat Farm, uh, it's named after my uncle. It's not really my uncle, but, you know, you guys all knew him before he passed away. You know, everybody. He was everybody's uncle. But, um, I'm, we've lost two goats. And I just would like the, the city of Oleander just to keep an eye out for them. Um, they are Nubians. They are black and white. And they have the, what they call the silver ears. Those are the white ears. Uh, there's a boy and a girl. Uh, the boy's name is Solomon, and the girl's name is Sonia. And they're really sweet, uh, you know, they're just wonderful little goats. Um, if you guys have ever heard my, my podcast, they're a little bit different. Uh, they're both yearlings, but they're only the size of six-month-old goats. They just, they don't grow, but they're healthy. Um, but um, sometimes at night... They glow in the dark, and they do have ability to um, walk through walls. And that's how they escape. They just walk right through the barn walls. And So I'm not really sure where my goats are. And, and they disappear once in a while, but they've always been back pretty quickly, and it's been over 48 hours. So um, if you guys could just, you know, the city of Oleander, if you could just keep an eye open and look for, uh, for those goats... I really would appreciate it. Uh, you can contact me uh, through the pneumatic tube. Uh, yes, uh, just uh, send it to Gladys and this uh, with a, a note on it. Uh, send the tube that you, you want her to forward it uh, to uh, Uncle Owen's Goat Farm. And, and then I'll just come pick them up and I'll bring you guys some goat cheese uh, as a reward. And oh, just a reminder, in the state of Oregon, that livestock has the right-of-way. So if they're on the road, you know, just uh, be careful when you're driving, especially around those round curves around uh, on Quantrell or up 
by uh, Seven Hill Road. But, uh, yeah, and it's a really, if you guys could just keep your eyes open for my goats, I, I really would appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. You know, so, yeah, I, I you know, I, I kind of, you know, you ask how things are going, and, you know, I got to give my default answer. Sure. But, uh, we, we do have, we have, we have a couple of missing goats, uh, Sonia and Solomon, my, my two of you, um, special goats. Uh, they've gone for a little bit of walk. Oh, got to switch Yeah. Okay, well, it sounds like they went on a bit of a walkabout there, as you said. Uh, hopefully they return safely within uh, the time that this show is over. If not, we'll patch it into the next episode. Yeah, and they, um, I mean, they disappear, but they never disappeared for this long. Okay. Well, you know, I'm worried, but I'm not too, too worried. All right, all right. I'm going to be meeting you out front of the mansion, which I wish I lived in, but as I've said before in the last episode, I live in a big graveyard out behind, and while we drive over, we can talk about some of that graveyard for a bit. Yeah, yeah, so we're gonna well, meet you there, and then we're gonna drive out uh, about a mile or two over to the, uh, the Seven Hill area. Alright, sounds good. Um, as I've mentioned before, as Dave's mentioned before, I live in a hundred acre graveyard. I don't have to do upkeep for it, which is really nice. The city does that, which is really funny that it calls itself the city of Oleander, but I've never been in a city with <laughs> less than 10,000 people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's incorporated, but yeah, it's a uh, thousand people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is the largest cemetery in Oregon. Uh, it's three times as big as anyone, any other one, but it's by far not the largest in the, in the country. Okay, cool. Uh, one thing it does do is it draws in weirdos and not so weirdos and it, oh, a lot of people come to a giant pioneer cemetery. It's got some weird history to it. I don't know that. Uh, and I now have uh, bits and pieces of audio that I may play next episode of people shouting poetry to each other. I'm not quite sure what's going on. We'll look into it a bit uh, next episode, but yeah, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Yeah, the, uh, and it, it's kind of always been sort of the artistic area. Sure. Um, and... There's always been sort of this sort of drawn to the dead. You know, up until World War II, people would, they would get in the train and they would come to Portland and they'd, you know, come to a glorious resurrection from Portland, to a glorious resurrection cemetery, just to uh, to spend the day and walk among the, the idols. Just like, a, you know, I grew up in the California area. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, as school children, they would take us to Forest Lawn. Okay. You know, there, there's all these historical things there. Sure. But they would take us to Forest Lawn Cemetery, and it was kind of like that up until about the 40s, or uh, World War II. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, we just went to uh, field trips to uh, the Franz Bakery in Fort Vancouver when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, you probably had a lot different school district than I went to. <laughs> So uh, we're coming up on the uh, we're coming up on the uh, on the uh, I, I I don't know the right term. W- w- what do we call this place? 
So, so this is now the Oleander spot. Okay. But historically, it was the Oleander Asylum for potential criminals. Okay. Or, uh, no, Oleander Asylum, uh, mental asylum for potentially criminally insane. Uh, sorry about that. Gotcha. And this was founded in the 20s and the 30s by um, uh, Justin Godfrey the first, and he actually he actually called himself the first. He 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 was one of those guys who really felt that he was going to start this dynastic line. Um, I don't know. Have you met Have you met his great grandson uh, the fourth? I no, I I don't know. Uh, how... he, he he's on the city council, and he's a very um political guy. You almost get the you get the feeling he's always campaigning for something. No, no, I haven't. We'll, but we'll put it that way. We'll, we'll put it that way. But he's on the city council. I'll keep an eye out. Uh, so um, so uh, Justin Godfrey the fourth is one of the founders of basically. American modern psychotherapy. Uh, he gets a PhD as well as a medical degree from Harvard. Uh, he then goes and he studies for a couple of years in Berlin where he studies under both Freud and Jung. Uh, and he takes his, his, what he learns there and he comes back uh, in the 20s, late 20s and 30s and he's basically the pioneering of American psychology. Gotcha. Um, the man is also insane. All right. He 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 is a sociopath. He basically is incapable of feeling emotions and, or expressing empathy for other people. And he comes up with this theory that people commit crimes because they, um, their emotions, their emotions drive them to commit crimes. Uh, and that the, everybody is basically criminally insane. It's when they c commit a crime, except for people who are either by birth or genetics or by sheer force of will, sociopaths are control their emotions. He figures that, you know, people, you know, and, and obviously crimes are, are committed in, in acts of passion, you know, but he feels that the only people that are really could stand trial are, are sociopaths because they're the only ones that can, are not moved by their emotions. They're the only ones that can calculate everything that if I did a penalty would be C and damage would be C. So in essence, he believes that sociopaths are the only people in their right mind. Hmm. Uh, oh, here, you want to turn up, turn up right here. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, you can just park up here. So he basically either physically or emotionally tortures emotions out of people for like two and a half decades. Just terrible things are supposed to have happened here. And he's pretty blatant about it. And you can imagine, you know, how 
Wild West psychology in the 1950s was, but it got so bad that the federal government had to step in. Oh, wow. And so they raided here. They, they, they actually raided here. Uh, and he was also a fraternal, a member of a fraternal order. Uh, you know, uh, you know, across from Speedos, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Oleander Historical Society building? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's big old two-story brown brick building. Mm-hmm. That originally was the esoteric order of Onis. Huh. And I don't know, have, have you ever heard of Onis? I can't say I have. So Onis is a Polynesian, not Polynesian, excuse me, a Phoenician or Mesopotamian deity, which scared the heck. It's basically an ocean fish deity that scared the heck out of the Hebrews writing the Old Testament. But they don't really understand the religion of their neighbors. So instead of using Onis, the sea god, Name they use a rather name of a rather benign weather and fertility spirit, Dagon. Huh. So everywhere where you read in the Bible, where you read the word Dagon, yeah, it more than likely is Onus. Huh. So these guys are are, are what we call old time hardcore old time religion. Gotcha. And so when when the feds go in, they they don't really have much problem in the asylum, other than they. You know, they just find all these horrors and tortures going on. But the the fraternal order of, of Onus, they fight back. Uh, and four FBI agents are shot, you know, uh, and killed. And nine uh, of these these brothers are, are killed. And, and basically, the government takes the property. That's how it ends up into the the, the city. But um, so. Um, so Justin Godfrey, the first there, he gets arrested. And as much to his chagrin, he's found in, innocent by due to insanity, huh. which he hates because he thinks he's the only sane person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the that's the history of the Oleander uh, Asylum for the Potentially Criminal Insane. Huh. Uh, and now it's actually... You know, we won't go in because you and I don't make enough money. But, you know, look, you can see this golf course and there's pools. I mean, so we get, a, a, again, you know, the people that live up like on Links Hill, they come down here. But it's, it's mainly Portland people who want to you know, have, have a spa treatment. Huh. Uh, they don't have like disc golf, then I take it. No, no, man, okay. no. This is this is this is this is this is hoity-toity real golf. I don't need this kind of place. Let's get out of here. No, but it's an interesting building to look at. You know, you look at the walls and stuff. Yeah. No. 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 Great architecture. Amazing architecture. So, um, yep. So that's that's how um, that's the the history of the uh, Oleander Asylum for the potentially criminally insane. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, and like I said, the 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 Godfrey family is, is still pretty pretty powerful. Uh, they don't like to talk a lot about their their family history, but they're still they're still forced to be reckoned in in Oleander. How so? Uh, well, like I said, um, you know, Justin's on the uh, 
he's on the, the council, so he's he's like over like the the parts of the 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 zoning areas like you know when putting in new new stores and businesses and you know where farmland can be so they, they they've, they've got quite a bit of a political cloud in in oleander okay gotcha let's head back to the studio for the next segment yeah and, you know maybe and in, in, in next time we'll have dave takes db to more places they can't go into <laughs> yeah uh, more places db walks around and gets his shoes muddy <laughs> Wow, what a cool intro! That's 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 some really good singing there, Dave. I, as intros go, I'm I'm amazed at the intro. <laughs> All right, so D and D with D and D. Hey, we're always looking for suggestions for things to talk about on D and D on D and D. And not only are we looking for suggestions, but we're looking for I don't know a call off sign, a sign off call. What do you want to call yeah, that? Yeah, just something that we can say, you know, say at the ending. Uh, we're, we've been experimenting with a few. We've got a few already sent in. But, yeah, if you've got some ideas of what we can say at the ending is when we sign off, we'd love to hear from you. My personal favorite is DB's The Greatest Bard of All Time, sent in by DB Spitzer. And it was completely unsolicited, too. <laughs> we didn't even know we were doing this yet. So, so we're talking about Scandinavian monsters. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know anything about the uh, the Kraken? I was just looking at a. You know, um. Oh no, no, go on. Oh no, I was just looking at a. Look at looking at something the other day and uh, heard about uh, sports team in Seattle, the Krakens. You know anything about this, Dave? Yeah. So, uh, and, and I am the most unsports person there is in the world. But, you know, I'm probably going to try to get me some of the, the this merch here. Um, so the new NHL team in Seattle is going to be the Kraken. Uh, Kraken singular, not plural. And, and of course, I got to assume that their, um, that their, their, their you know, logo is going to be Unleash the Kraken. <laughs> I hope so. I, I, I'm assuming that's what they're going to go with. I, I hope people at least chant that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of a cool name for a, a, a sports team. Yeah. Um, you know, which, and we'll talk a little more about it. I tend to get kind of purist. So, yeah, we, we think of the Kraken as part of, um, you know, Greek, because, you know, Laura, um, oh, help me, I just had a mental... Fr- the, Clash, the, of the, the, oh, Clash, Clash of the, the Titans. Titans. So we think it's the Titan, thank you. Mm-hmm. But no, you're you're right, and if you may want to talk more about it, you know, Kraken is a Scandinavian creature that doesn't look like a Ray Harryhausen monster with four arms. No, no, but you know, um, it, it makes a good D and D creature if a you're going to be in the water, and b you got to kind of you, you got to be kind of some levels there. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you got so some, have you, something for have water you ever breathing. Have used a, a Kraken? No, but I've always wanted to. So, true story, and, and, and I'm going to embarrass myself, and you may edit this out. Sure. I used the Kraken in um, Shadowrun. Okay. Ooh. Okay. And so, um, it's the same Kraken. It's the same creature. And this was on a mission in Hawaii, and they were in Pearl Harbor. Uh, and the idea was the Kraken was going to sneak up, you know, and just 
tentacles. I was getting a little bit of a warning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the tentacles were coming up, and, you know, and I was having give them a little warning and then they get basically try to flee because this was a huge creature, but it was kind of trapped in Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. and they have this troll and this, this was like this was sort of humorous troll that was always causing problems. Uh, and so he strips and he, he starts skinny dipping in Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. you know, but I'd already had this stuff pre land and I hadn't really thought about what he was doing. And, and I had the tourists go, Oh, you know, they see the cracking coming out. Oh, look, it's so big. And he turns and goes, yes, it is. <laughs> you may want to edit out that story, but that's one of my favorite stories. So I've used krakens in, in other things, but not D&D. But they're, they're great monsters, as long as, you know, you got to be seaborne. And they got to have a certain amount of level. Sure, yeah. No, 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 no. But uh, I figure, like... Uh... The beginning of a journey when someone's kind of like low level is a good time to use a kraken and then like have like on maybe the journey back you know show the kraken who's boss you know just like show how many levels you've gained since the last time you crossed this body of water yeah you know that's actually like a a really sort of maybe if you need the party to be shipwrecked Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know that's a great you know you don't want to just use the storm you know, I have it, you know, the ship dragged in by a, a Kraken or attacked by a Kraken. Oh, yeah. So that, that's that's a good way to start off an adventure like that. I've used sentient storms, but never a Kraken for that. Yeah, so, so no, and and the nice thing is, too, you got multiple people, for, you know, fighting the Kraken. Yeah. You know, you, you've, got, you've got multiple tentacles so that, you know, it's not I attack the barbarian or whatever, and then go to the next one. Yeah, no, one reason I bring up the Kraken is because of uh, Viking days coming up. Yes, yes. And so um, I, you know, Viking days, which is now being rolled into uh, old-timey Plague Doctor Parade, I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, okay, people hate going to movies with me, but... (laughs) You know, and 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 I, I, one of the things is Vikings. I love Vikings. You love Vikings. Everybody loves Vikings, right? Mm-hmm. Vikings are not a nationality. There was no Viking country. <laughs> okay, the word Viking, and here I am up on my soapbox again. The word Viking basically translates into Scandinavian seaborne pirate raiders. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a profession. It's not a. It, it's not. A race it's it's not a country it, it's a job yeah uh, and you know even they say the viking cities you know they supported vikings but it was only a small percentage were actual vikings and you know and it's like the the horn helmets mm-hmm. you know the horn helmets i i, I give it like a D or fantasy because it's not history but you know vikings didn't wear horn helmets that was a north german thing and it was only for you know rituals and and religious ceremonies yeah i know if you had horns on your helmet that'd be something to someone to grab onto. (laughs) exactly exactly and and you know what i'm kind of okay with that in fantasy because well maybe Mm -hmm. but what i really like is in the fifth edition there's a lot of things i do like in fifth edition you have a perfect combination for vikings Hmm. and that is the barbarian class and the sailor background. Huh, yeah. 
Now, in the past, there's been like some, you know, barbarian, you know, barbarians, of course. There's been, you know, some a Viking book for like second edition, but it was more of a, it was more of a, a you know, a background campaign setting than anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, here's what I think this makes this perfect, perfect, you know, special character if you combine the two. If you want to play a bar, uh, play a, a Viking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the problem: is Vikings are seen as mainly seafaring, which is true. So if you're not going to have a sea-based or a coastal-based campaign, it still works. So I'm going to kind of walk you through like what it would be like to make a, a first-level barbarian and why I think uh, sailor, why I think that they would be a good combination. Uh, but part of it is as a sailor, you get two skill proficiencies, athletics. Okay. And athletics, of course, is going to be great on a boat because it's climbing the rigging and swimming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But athletics is, you know, in the new version, it's basically running, jumping, swimming, climbing, lifting. All right. And so even if you, if you got points in this, even if your your GM doesn't give you a boat or a sea campaign, that's still you're not wasting points there. All right. Same thing. The next is perception. If you're a, I mean, even if wisdom is your your dump stat, mm-hmm. you're not wasting points on perception. You know, chance of seeing an attack, you're you're still good there. <laughs> uh, and next comes is you know, the, the, you get the tool proficiencies is is navigation tools. So even if you're not a sea-based adventure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you're still probably going to do that two days through the wilderness until you reach the dungeon. So that can come in useful if you're going from the city to your dungeon. The big one there is, is you know, vehicle water. And, and if there's going to be some water adventure, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's a payoff. It, it's definitely a payoff. If not, you know, you got to decide, do I want to, you know, take this, which could be a very powerful, important skill that may or may not be used. Hmm. Um, The other thing is you get weapons for um, for a Viking or I'm for a barbarian. Yeah, I was just thinking about that D12. Yeah, you can see you get a great axe and or or some other weapon. Or and two hand axes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so you think of it. So if you're mainly fighting from boats, you don't want a big giant weapon that's <laughs> going to get caught up on the rigging. So you've got to use your hand axe. That's sure. why. That's why you know um, uh, pirates didn't use long swords. They they did. They used you know short swords. They used cutlasses. Clubs. So they wouldn't get caught up on the ropes. Clubs. Yeah. So you've got. You've got both you, you get your your second weapon mm-hmm, to start mm-hmm. off with, but you also got some some boat weapons, and and Vikings you know, let's be, the berserker the berserker skills or the rage skills uh-huh. those are taken from the Scandinavian berserker myth okay. or berserker class, but here's why I think Vikings the new fifth edition sailor slash um, barbarian combination makes a perfect Viking. Vikings are basically the equivalent of modern-day Marines. Okay. They're specialized naval infantry that fights on boats, beaches, or 
you know, some sort of coastal city or fortress. Hmm. And if you're fighting from a boat, the worst thing that could happen is if you're wearing this heavy armor and you get pushed off because you can go right down. Barbarians get this unarmored bonus. So when you're not wearing armor, you get this bonus, which makes sense if you're you're a sailor of some sort. You don't want to get thrown off the boat and drowned. So I think that that adds perfectly. So um, that's my pitch. That If you want to play a Viking in 5e, mm-hmm. go ahead and put a barbarian with a sailor. Nice. And, you know, and it's a fantasy setting. Dwarves, you know, you can have... You can have elves. You know, I was thinking about, you know, like a if you did want to forgive the sin of the, the horn hat, have a, a tiefling, but instead of <laughs> instead of having a, a, he just has a regular hat that was holds for his horns. You know, so so that's my pitch. So that's my if you want to run a seaborne campaign or a north campaign and, and I my understanding I haven't I'm hearing rumors that there's gonna be some north there are a few. The Midgard's already out, but I think there's going to be a couple more North setting campaigns for 5e. Cool. I just so my... you know. No, no, no. Finish your thought. No, no. So I, I, I think that the, I think uh, that uh, uh, that it's a legitimate, powerful enough character to to make a Viking. That's pretty cool. Something I was just thinking about is a. Uh adventure hook uh, involving vikings that doesn't involve like taking over your ship or using vikings as like low level what you would use a kraken for uh what if uh, vikings hire you that they know where a treasure's at but they're terrible on land and don't know what to do in the woods and hire a group of adventurers to move them from like a coastal town into like uh i don't know up a mountainside or through heavy woods into like a cavern system or something like that and then maybe sure, they you know, double cross or, you, or you double cross them, or who and, knows? And the other thing that I think Five E does pretty decently, sure, is it's got a pretty good North mythology in, in the player's guide. Oh. In fact, that's one of the campaigns I did. I, you know, I want to use real world, so you know, I had the North, and I had you know, the the the, the Celts and the Greeks, and uh, so in fact, you know, twenty thirty years ago. When they had, you know, just de- you know, they didn't have all these game-made deities mm-hmm. where you know deities and demigods are basically real-world pantheons. Yeah. You know, I had a GM, and that says, you know, you want to play a Norse, you want to play a Greek, a Roman, or you want to play a, an Egyptian god. Then they know, but and you can play any of the other ones, but they're going to be less known. They're going to be sort of weird cults. That the and that's true. I think. Most people in Western society, that's the three mythologies they know, especially now that, you know, you know, the Disney Thor movies, at least some people got an idea, mm-hmm. even though it's Spaceman North mythology. Most players have an idea of North mythology from at least Thor. <laughs> I have to say, I learned all of my mythology, or not all of my mythology, I first learned about mythology definitely from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so, so I, I was exactly opposite. I was the, the kid that just always asked questions about mythology. And my parents and my teachers say, well, you just need to go to, to you know, the library and read these things to find out for yourself because we uh-huh. don't know. 
And, and so I'm the person that took mythology into my dungeons. Gotcha. I was like that with uh, Roman architecture. <laughs> Which I, I will completely bow to your knowledge on Roman architecture here. Oh, cool. <laughs> Not not these days. This is when I was ten. But <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm I'm exactly excited. Next time I get a a game where I'm a player, I want I want to play a, a Viking. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm gonna play some sort of I don't know. I I've got to figure out a way to play if if there's a Viking game going on, how to play like the. Uh, the Viking who just plays their their instrument and then says things, well, pithy well, things to everybody. So, <laughs> well, no, ab- absolutely. Um, the bardic tradition, the skald, comes from North mythology. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the bard and the, you know, uh, we think of it sort of as this your English version, mm-hmm. which you know we do get, but absolutely. And in fact, you know, 3.5, I haven't seen it, had the, the war bard, hmm. you know, which was, uh, uh, I think, a bard with some berserker. So absolutely, <laughs> bards are um, from the, the Nordic Scandinavian tradition, the, the, the skalds. Nice. Nice. It's nice to know that the Vikings have someone they can be like, go talk to those royal people. We don't want to mess this up. Go read that book for us. Just a reminder out there that uh, if you've got a a good sign-off line for us, we'd love to hear it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, and if anyone wants to help out on any of the shows that we've got going on, or if you've got an idea for a show, send it to us. Go to pgttcm.com and go to contact. Let us know what's going on, and we'll send something to the folks at 1130 KZOM. I can't remember the show sketch. I can't remember the station sketch phrase. Station manager's going to have my hide. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Farmer Dave on 11.30 on your AM dial. The mighty KZOM, KZOM. So I'm just finishing up my uh, night shift. Uh, the last hour and a half, we have had a veterinarian, Dr. Jennifer Pinky Tuscadero, and she has been talking about limp kid syndrome. And she's been sharing some really good things with us. I know when your baby goats are just born and they're always hungry and you want to feed them, it's just, it's too easy to overfeed them and and that can be fatal. So she just gave us some great advice on how to treat uh, limp kid syndrome, but also what to look out for. And um, so wrapping up my show, um, I'm going to be ending at 10 but you guys have a treat for you, Oleander. Yes, so our guest uh, DJ will be no one, no one other than Pierre Lumberjack McKenzie. You probably know him as the owner and proprietor of the coffee kiosk Speedos, but he is going to be sharing for two hours from 10 to midnight with you one of his passions, and that is sea shanties. So you're not going to want to miss 
two full hours of sea shanties here on Radio Free Oleander. And so we're going to finish up my show, though, and we're going to do this with a, a new feature we have, which is called The People of Oleander. And today's episode is going to be called Feeling Alive, and it's going to feature Darius King. I wish Darius was here to share this story himself in person. He is much more eloquent uh, and well-spoken than I am. Uh, but like I said, he said it was okay for me to share this story on the air. And Darius is different than the average person from Oleander. Uh, first of all, he has a Ph.D., where most people in Oleander are lucky if they have a GED. Uh, he has a PhD in classic literature. He's African American, uh, openly gay, renowned uh, author, uh, public speaker, and uh, he's been nominated for several uh, literature prizes. He is also a uh, paraplegic. Uh, now, he was not a victim of an accident or or anything like that, um, he actually lost the use of his legs because he was cursed uh, by, um, by a Haitian uh, witch doctor, a voodoo witch doctor. And to this day, science and medical experts, they cannot find out why he cannot walk. has not been able to walk for 10 years or so. And they think it's psychosomatic, but anyone who spends any time with Darius knows that this, this is not a guy of weak will. He is this incredible, indomitable, strong will. No, he can't walk because it's something else. And do they find some medical thing in the future, or do we find it something metaphysical? I don't know, but it's just not... It's not psychological. I just know Darius too well to think that. And what happened to Darius, the way he tells it, he's going to live to be 120 because he had a midlife crisis when he was 60. And before he was confined to the wheelchair, Darius was also, he was very athletic. He even performed in like extreme sports, you know, mountain climbing. He he actually swam with sharks and in uh, Fiji and Maui, but things things that have happened in the last four or five months have gotten to all of us. COVID-19, the protests, um, and, you know, in the past, even when he was in a wheelchair, you know, Darius was there. He was always in the forefront. No, he was he was there in the front lines holding signs, you know, even when he was in a wheelchair, for for gay marriage, uh, equal rights, uh, police reform. But he watched these things happening, and he was concerned COVID and his age. He was a little concerned about, you know, if he got to Portland, not only what would happen to him with the protests there. You know, would he slow other people down? And for the first time in his life, Darius had become a spectator. This was a, a person who all of his life had been an 
advocate and an agitator. And then things, summer's going to be hard because summer is when his best friend, uh, Titus uh, Oleander, who is the uh, grandson of uh, Josiah Oleander, the, the founder of the city, and, and his wife, um, Maria. Maria disappeared in the summer about six years ago. We don't know what happened to Maria. Um, she is literally a victim of the Oregon Triangle. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the Oregon Triangle. That is the areas between the cities of Gladstone, Boring, and Oleander. Breaks down to about 95 to 100 square miles, where just a lot of weird things. But according to the FBI, there's three and a half times more likely to have disappearances here and unsolved disappearances than you know any other area in the country with the same, you know, demographics and geography. And she literally just dropped off the map. And that was, and they couldn't find her. Um, And so there was no closure there. And the situation with Titus was even worse. Titus is, was... Darius's best friend. Uh, Titus uh, Oleander uh, was also an expert in literature, and he was the he was the top expert on Robert W. Chambers and his works, especially uh, *Repair of Reputation* and *The King of Yellow*. And Titus got in his head that. The King in Yellow was an actual book, either written by Chambers or the Chambers found, and that it was this occult book. And shortly after Mary uh, uh, disappeared, Titus went insane. Basically, they say he's just so obsessed over this. Some people say he saw something. Others say it was just, you know, his obsession. And he is now in a a mental hospital in Corvallis. Uh, And he is, he he just, he he can't even control his own bowel movements. It's really sad to see this, this incredible, brilliant mind that is just dissipated. It's disappeared. And that was really hard on Darius, who is, you know, the Oleanders. He is the godfather of of their their daughter, um, Felony. And so summers always, especially the last five summers, have been really hard on Darius. Um, but the thing that really sort of straw that broke the camel's back, however, was he was in the Oleander store, and he was getting his food, you know, he was getting his, his almond soy milk and his goat cheese, and this woman, a large white woman, came up to him, and she said, 
all lives matter. Now, Darius, it's not like he was wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. No, Darius was wearing, Darius King is Darius King. He's wearing this custom-fitted, you know, silk shirt, pleated pants, and, you know, he, he's taken back. He says, well, I didn't say they didn't. And she looks at him, and she says, no, all lives matter. And he is taken back. And for the first time in his life, Darius King, PhD, expert on classic literature, magnificent public speaker, is at a loss for words. Because this woman basically accused him of causing all these problems, accusing him of creating all these disturbances. She accused him not in so many words, that he is the one who brought it to Oleander. And, and that's not what bothered Darius. He's gotten this all his life. But, you know, more than once, he has stood up to racists. He has stood up to homophobes. He has stood up to anti-intellectuals. Many times they were armed, and all he had was his sheer charisma and sheer force of willpower and this knowledge that he was right. And he couldn't respond this time. He felt disconnected to the things that had made him passionate. He didn't feel alive. So he gets his Uber and he goes back up to his mansion up uh, in Lynx Hill. And he's thinking about this. So, he has probably too many drinks, and he's thinking, you know, this, ever since the first of the year, nothing has made him feel alive. And, you know, he was thinking, you know, this is a guy who did extreme sports before he was forced into a wheelchair. So, like I said, he probably had too many drinks. And, you know, he's thought about doing some sort of sports thing. Uh about, you know, well, he's not about maybe skydiving with uh, Mayor Cooper, but, you know, the, the only skydiving place up there would not take him because of, because of his legs. And he thought, well, you know what, I'll just get a ride, I'll just go to those protests in Portland, and I will show them exactly who Dr. Darius King is. And, I mean, that's glad they did it, but they negotiated. The federal troops pulled out. So, you know, he, he was stuck there. And he just, he needed something to feel alive. So, um, I think I mentioned that he probably had a little couple too many drinks. So he thought, well, I live on the top of a hill. And there's a road, curvy road going down. And I have a wheelchair. I will just run my wheelchair down this hill. And the smartest man in town admittedly was about to do the dumbest thing he'd ever done in his life. So he gets up, he rolls down his driveway, rolls up to the top of the hill, and he looks down and he sees these curvy road and he sees these trees and he just goes for it. Just pushes forward, rolls forward, and he's going down the hill. He's probably getting about, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 miles an hour. And uh, he gets down about a thousand feet, 
and the road starts curving. And then all of a sudden, the wheelchair starts bouncing, and it's vibrating, and, and it's getting violent. And then he hits a rock or a pebble or something, and he's airborne. And he flies in the air with the wheelchair, and he just, he hits asphalt and just rolls. And fortunately, he's fine. I mean, his clothes is ripped up. He's got a little cuts and bruises, but he's not seriously hurt. Uh, his wheelchair is messed up, and he can't go back up the hill. His cell phone is broken. He can't call for help. He, he's stuck there for a few minutes. And then finally a car pulls up, and who would it be but, lo and behold, it's Felony Oleander, it's his goddaughter. And she is livid, and she's panicked, because she thinks somebody's attacked him and beat him. And she picks him up, and she carries him to her, her Alfa Romero convertible, and picks up, her, picks up his, um, his, you know, his wheelchair, and all the time, you know, she's just, I'm going to kill these people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find them, I'm going to track them down. And he calms her down, and he says, no, I, I, I did it myself. And so she drove back up to uh, his uh, his house. You know, they're all McMansions up there, except, you know, honestly, uh, Darius is kind of nice. It's a, it's a good-looking house. It's the only one I really consider a true mansion up there. But, um, and so there is anger. There is red-headed anger. And there is oleander anger. And there is no anger greater than, you know, red-headed felony oleander. So she goes up, she takes care of his wounds, makes sure he's okay, and she goes to town. After she found out what happened, she, did, she calls him every name in the book, and just, how could he risk his life? You know, she lost her parents, and now the only parental force in his, her life is risking his life. And she, he just sat there, complete calm. And you know, Felony knows she's gonna have to leave because she's just getting, un she's just getting so mad. And Felony finally says, "Well, did it work? Did you feel alive?" And he looked her in the eyes and he said, the only time I felt alive was when you picked me up. When I felt you lift me up, knowing that you would do anything to protect and save me, I felt alive in ways I had not for a long time. And that that human connection that I had all this time was what I was really looking for. So, Felony bites her lip and she kisses Darius on the forehead, says, I love you, and then called him several names that I'm not allowed to repeat on the air, and left because she just knew that he was safe and her presence there would just, her anger, she would just blow things there. And when I was talking to Darius about this, and he was telling me this story, he's very stoic, very contr 
controlled emotionally man, he's had to control his emotions all his life, at least publicly. Uh, as a gay African American, if he showed emotions, people would pounce on him. But he showed the emotions when he told the story, and that it was not the knowledge. It was not the adventures that gave him his life. It was the love of his extended family. Kind of nice story. Well, Pierre is looking like he is about ready to take this chair. And like I said, you guys are in for a treat because you're going to have two full hours of his favorite sea shanties. Uh, this is Farmer Dave, and this has been uh, The People of Oleander. And you've been listening to Radio Free Oleander on 1130 on your AM dial on KZOM. I'm signing off, so good night, listeners. Good night, Darius. Good night, racist woman in the market. Good night, Oleander. That weirdo. Anyway, Dave, anything you want to say about town? Anything you want to say about what's going on around? No, other than, um, you know, we'll keep you posted, and uh, we're still uh, looking for a couple of goats, so yeah. if you see them, uh, just uh, give, us a, give us a call. And next next episode, we are going to have a parade. It's going to be great, and it's it's just uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, the city the city's combining the Ren Fair mm-hmm. as well as, as the Viking Days. It's yes. it's going to be uh, ye old plague doctor days, uh, and the city is just going to come out and social distance and wear a mask and watch the parade drive by as fast as it can. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be that's cov- how parades do- that's how parades are in Oleander. Yeah, and we're going to be covering it as fast as possible. Uh, you can listen on 11:30 a.m. It's going to be fill in time here. And it's going to be good. So, I hope you all tune in and if you're not able to tune in locally, I hope you get a chance to listen to it on the podcast, on the podcast feed. Or if you're locally and you want to hear it a second time. (laughs) If you just aren't one of those people that hangs out around a a radio all day. Yeah, well, I wish we had a a call off for the show in general, Dave, but I guess we're going to need people to do that too. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, just, yeah. So if you got any sort of sign-offs, just uh, let us know. We will um, either choose them or have a vote or, or, or thank you very much for trying. Yeah, and also if anyone has any juicy stories about Oleander, any stories about Oleander, any drawings about Oleander, we'd love to see them. We'd love to share them. We'll throw them up on the Instagram. We'll share them on one of the Facebooks. And thank you again so much. Just look for Radio Free Oleander, Oleander Book Club. And there's going to be more coming up soon. And thank you all so much for your support. And we'll let you know about any way to help the show besides going to the store. Anything you want to say, Dave? Mm, Look for goats. 
All right, look for goats, and we'll see you next time.